Well, from time to time during special seasons, special times, as the Lord leads us to, we take a little break from our verse-by-verse, book-by-verse, book-by-book study, and we've been going through the Gospel of Mark, but for the next uh, several weeks, at least for the remainder of December and probably a few weeks into January or so, we're going to take a break from that, and we're going to be looking at several passages in the Word of God that turn our focus and our attention to the incarnation of God. That is, that God became flesh in the person of Jesus Christ. He came, he was born of a virgin, he lived a sinless life, he died a sacrificial death on the cross, and he rose victoriously from the grave. And that is what we call the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it is the power uh, of that that saves people. And so we've been studying the life and the ministry of Jesus through Gospels, uh, the Gospel of Mark, but for the next few weeks we're going to focus on his birth and all that surrounds that and the people that are involved in it and things that we can learn from their lives individually as well. And we're calling this mini-series, Tis the Season. And today I want you to take your Bibles and go to the first book of the New Testament, the first chapter, Matthew chapter number one, and we are going to see that Christmas is a season to have hope, as we have sung about this morning. It is a season to have hope. So take your Bibles, go there, Matthew chapter one, and let's stand together for the reading of God's word. We're going to begin in verse number 18, and we're going to read down through verse number 25. Familiar passage. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise, when as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privately. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus For he shall save his people from their sins. Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Father, this is your word to us. Again, we claim it as the authority of our lives We thank you, Lord, that it is inspired of the Holy Ghost, and it is for us today. And Lord, I pray that you would help us now as we look at it, that we would surrender our hearts and our lives underneath its authority. And we pray if there's anyone here who has never bowed their knee and put their faith and trust in Jesus, the Messiah, we pray that today would be that day. And Lord, I pray for Christians who are here today, they're troubled going through difficult circumstances and situations that they don't understand, we pray, Lord, that you would also minister to to them today through your Spirit. Encourage us all and challenge us all. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Because Christmas is a, a time and a season where so many emotions and so many feelings are being felt and we're going through so many different emotions, excitement, and and all that Christmas brings with it. We're going to examine closely what this time of the year should really remind us of. 
It is a, a time of the year when we begin to, uh, to celebrate earlier and earlier, isn't it? I was reminded of this when I was in the Philippines in early November in 100 degree temperatures, pouring sweat. And, and hearing Christmas music being played all around me, seeing all the Christmas decorations, it's all around us. It gets earlier and earlier every year. I think this year I even saw Christmas decorations going up before Halloween. And so it is something that seems to be celebrating more and more because for many, as the song says, it is the most wonderful time of the year. It's the happiest season of all. There'll be so much mistletoeing and hearts will be glowing when loved ones are near. How many of you have a mistletoe in your house? What? (laughs) We have a mistletoe in our house. And now that it's an empty house, the only problem is the mistletoe is in a room we never go into. So in the dining room, and with it just being the two of us, we don't eat in there anymore, and maybe she does that on purpose, but that song is a very popular song. It was written and recorded in 1963, and it's still one of the top 10 songs that is played this time of year, and it really was written to celebrate the traditions that have made this season so special for so many people. But the truth is that for many, it is a time of joy, and we can't wait for it to get here. And, but it is also true that for many, it is a time and a season of despair, a time of, of discouragement or hopelessness or depression because of different circumstances that have happened in people's lives. And with all the good times that come with Christmas, it also is a reminder that we live in a, a broken world. A broken world, and what that means is that any moment things can change, right? No matter what we anticipate, no matter what we think is going to happen, no matter what we foresee the future being or becoming or relationships, we never know because it is a broken world that is impacted by sin, it can change so drastically. I mean, one thing, uh, one day things can be going fairly normal, and the next day, There can be chaos in our lives. One day, things seem to be so certain and so sure, and you think you know what the next day and the next week and the next month and the next year holds, and we plan for those times. And then in just a moment of time, there is confusion in our life. There is chaos in our life because what we thought our life was going to be, our life is no longer that. And in a broken world, we all know how quickly we can get news that changes us, perhaps how fast our health status can change, or a relationship that we have always thought would be strong and good in just a moment of time is not what we thought it was, or just a moment of time, a circumstance changes that changes our whole life. And sometimes those things are because of decisions that we have made, and we're reaping the consequences from that. And then sometimes It is just because we live in a a world, a broken world that is impacted by sin and because it's a temporary world. It is not eternal. It's not forever. And at the, the center of our text this morning, we find a man in such a situation. One day his life is wonderful. It's the most wonderful time of the year as he is 
planning and preparing to marry the love of his life, this woman who he has grown to love, and he is excited. And then in just a moment, his life is turned upside down, and he is hit with the most unexpected news. We're reminded in this story that we just read of how quickly life can change and how we perceive life can change so quickly. And while we walk around this season singing, it's the most wonderful time of the year when we get into our cars, when we go into the stores, and it is certainly a great time of year, but let us not forget to go back to the first Christmas. And all that was going on, and as we look at that event, certainly we look back at it as a whole and we see that it is absolutely one of the most wonderful events in history, but we're also reminded that in the midst of that, there were some things that there were people who felt hopeless, there were people who were discouraged. And God steps in in the middle of that hopelessness, in the middle of that brokenness to deliver news about the birth of Jesus who would be the hope of the world. Now, we use that word hope. And in the Bible, when it speaks of hope, it's not like we use the word hope today. Not like a maybe, not like I hope something is going to happen I love how Pastor Robert Morgan put it. He said, in the Bible, the word hope is not synonymous with maybe. Biblical hope refers to sure and certain expectations, which because they are still in the future, create in us a sense of anticipation. And so in this season of hope, uh, this season of hope, it's not based on our, our circumstances or our human relationships or our current health status, our hope is based on the promises of God's word that can change in our anticipation uh, of the future. How we view eternity with anticipation changes the way we live life now. How you look at life and how you look at eternity now, it changes the way that we live our life now. And in our text, there is, there is hope in the anticipation that the Messiah was going to be born. And today, we experience similar hope in the anticipation of the Messiah's return as also promised in Scripture, which means this, that no matter where you find yourself today and no matter what situation you are going in, we can have hope, we can have sure and certain expectation created, uh, creating in us a sense of anticipating based on the promises of God. The promise of God that nothing can separate us from the love of God. How many of you are thankful for that promise? The promise of God that he is working all things in our life for his eternal glory and our eternal good. The promise that he will never leave us or forsake us. Listen, church, no matter what you're going through this Christmas season and, and, and the, the things that have taken you by surprise, we can have well, sure and certain anticipation, knowing that our God is good, that our God is in control, that our God is working in our life, that he is working all things in our life for his eternal glory and our eternal good. It's important as we live life that we do so from, from a, an eternal perspective. 
So when life changes and when circumstances change, our hope must rest in the word of God and the will of God. Notice, first of all, and we're just going to kind of walk through these verses this morning, and there is a sermon guide in your bulletin if you would like to take a few notes. The first thing that we see in verse number 18 is the proclamation of hope. Now the birth of Jesus was on this wise, when as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. This is the great proclamation of the coming Messiah. And in verse number 18, the Holy Spirit gives important details about Joseph Joseph and Mary and things that we can learn from their life. The couple that God had chosen to reveal his eternal plan for the world. And to deliver this child, the couple that would be at the center of the birth of the Messiah. And there's much to learn from their life. First of all, the text tells us that they were an espoused couple. And we understand this in American culture. Uh, We understand engagement. But in the Jewish culture, it was different. There were really three phases before uh, a couple actually came together. A spousal signified that a contract of marriage had been agreed upon by the groom and by the father of the bride. And the couple was already at this point, they were already legally married under Jewish law, but they had to observe a period of separation before intimacy during which the groom would prepare a home for his wife and himself. And like many men still today, I can imagine that Joseph was ready for this period of time to hurry up and get over. I can remember our 10-month engagement, and it felt like 10 years. You're just ready for it to be over. You're ready to be able to be with your wife and to spend the rest of your life with her. And so, uh, like all engaged couples, this is a time when there is bliss, and it seems like the most wonderful time of the year And Joseph is feeling all of the same excitement, all the same joy, all the same anticipation. It is wonderful until in just a moment, it was no longer wonderful. In just a moment, his world was turned upside down. In just a moment, what he thought was going to be certain was no longer certain. So we see the proclamation that came to, first of all, an engaged or an espoused couple. And then we see this about them that is important to note, that they were a pure couple. Verse 18 also reminds us that Mary was a virgin. Notice the phrase, before they came together. And despite the generality that are in some translations, Mary was not just a young woman. Mary was not just a young maid. Mary was a virgin, and that is very important to our faith. The virgin birth of Jesus is a hallmark to our Christian faith. And the Bible is not vague about its detail. And we see this emphasized time and time again in Scripture. It's here in our text. It's also in Luke chapter 1 and verse 26 and 27 and 28. Verse 27 says, To a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph and of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. It mentions it twice. 
As Matthew mentions here in our text, even hundreds of years before Jesus was born, it was prophesied by the prophet Isaiah that the birth of the Messiah would be a miraculous birth, would be a miraculous conception. In Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 14, it says, Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. So we see that this is a engaged and a spouse couple. We see that it is a pure couple. And we see that they are a blessed couple. Why? Because she was found with child. This was not something that was anticipated. It was discovered through observation. It was recognized. It was detected. But here is the part that makes it blessed is that she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. The children, again, the children are not in here this morning, or at least not most of them, but I think that most of us in the room know how children come to be, right? Through the coming together of a a man and a woman. And this was a blessed couple because to them came the birth of the Messiah, the only child that has ever been born without a man and a woman coming together in a physical relationship. Notice how Paul writes it in Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 and 5. It says, but when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth his son. Notice this little phrase, made of a woman, made under the law to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoptions of sons. This was a work of God, an act of the Holy Spirit. The very Messiah that Israel had been waiting for was the child that Mary carried in her womb. How many of you would say they were a blessed couple? They were blessed by God with this great privilege. 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16, Paul writes, and without controversy, great is the mystery of of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh Justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. So the proclamation of hope this morning is that Jesus Christ was born of a virgin, and indeed he was the Son of God, as it prophesied he would be, and he also, thank the Lord, is the Savior of the world. He is the Savior of the world. He came to save us from our sins. He came as a savior because you and I were in in great need of forgiveness and salvation. I love what someone wrote. They said, if our greatest need was for information, God would have sent us an educator. If our greatest need was for technology, he would have sent us a scientist. If our greatest need was for money, he would have sent us an economist. If our greatest need was for pleasure, he would have sent us an entertainer. But our greatest need was for forgiveness, so he sent us a Savior. And a Savior was born on that day. That was this proclamation of hope. And then notice, secondly, the pondering of Joseph in verses 19 and 20. And there's so much to learn here. As any man would, Joseph wrestled with what to do with this news. What was he going to do? Again, in just a moment, his world is turned upside down, and perhaps he wondered, why is God allowing something like this in my life? I mean, this was not how I planned it. This is not what I thought was going to happen. 
Why is God allowing this? And how many of you would be honest and you would say, I've asked the same question before in my own life. Why is God allowing this to happen in my life? And the truth is we don't always have all the answers to that. And we've been seeing that on Wednesday nights in our study of the book of Esther, that no matter if our situation seems to make sense or not, we have to have this, listen church, we have to have this settled in our heart. God is always right. God's ways are high above our ways. His thoughts are high above our thoughts. He sees things from a different vantage point. He sees things from an eternal perspective. He sees much more than you and I do, which means that we, we simply have to believe and settle in our heart that no matter what is going on around us in our life, God is always right. So Joseph had a choice to make. He could trust his emotions, he could trust what he was feeling, or he could trust God. No matter what we feel or what we experience, we have to believe and we have to understand that God is sovereignly in control of the world, of the universe, of eternity, and and of our life. We see some things about Joseph that are important and are are great lessons for us. It says in, in the verse there that he was a just man. He pondered justly, and it points out here the character of Joseph. The word means that he was a a righteous man. He was observing of the the laws. He was virtuous. He was a man who did his best to keep the commandments of God. He was a man who wanted to do the right thing. He desired to obey God's word at all costs. A sinner, yes, but a man who lived to obey and to follow God. We also see not only was he a just man, but he was also a compassionate man. And I love, and I think there's great lessons here for us as men in marriage to see how he treated this situation. He pondered compassionately. We see the heart of Joseph in this statement, as Matthew points out, that he could have made her a public example. And by the way, if he would have made her a public example, he would have done what most men would have done in that day. Perhaps even demanded that she be stoned to death because of her adultery. We see in Joseph what selfless love looks like and described for us in 1 Corinthians chapter number 13, an attitude towards women that was rare in his day, where it says that charity or love suffers long and it is kind and it envies not and it vaunts not itself and it is not puffed up. It doth not behave itself unseemly. It seeks not its own, is not easily provoked, thinks no evil rejoices not in iniquity or sin, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, it believes all things, it hopes all things, it endures all things. And it never fails, but whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. Joseph shows us what it is like to demonstrate true selfless love that believes the best and puts others before ourselves. Because listen, love is not just something we feel, it is something we do. It's an action. It's a choice. And Joseph acted in the most loving way. He pondered justly, he pondered compassionately, and then thirdly we see that he pondered patiently. And, And I love this little thought, but while he thought on these things, 
He did not make a rash judgment. He did not make a quick response. It reminds us that Joseph was a wise man and a just man who did, who did not understand all that was going on in this moment. He did not know what was going on. In fact, all he knows is that my engaged future wife or, or in that time, at that time under Jewish law, my wife now, that she is pregnant and that is not my baby. And by all visible means, it looks like she has cheated, that she has committed adultery. He hasn't got the answer to this, but instead of acting harshly and rashly and quickly, the Bible says that he thought on these things. There's great wisdom here. When you're uncertain what to do, to wait patiently on the Lord. To be careful not to say foolish things that you will regret. To be careful not to to judge God or to say things that even show your lack of faith and trust in God. Because, listen church, I know you've heard it before, but I hope you'll be reminded of it this morning, that waiting times in our life are not wasted times. God is teaching us in those moments. God is fellowshipping with us, and we can give testimony to that this morning, that in those waiting times when we're waiting on God and we don't understand what he's doing and we are confused about the circumstances around us, that it is in those moments that we experience a fellowship with God and the fellowship of his sufferings and the the difficulty of trials and his ministry to us in those times that we would not be able to experience any other time had we not gone through those times. Don't allow them to be wasted time because much wisdom awaits us in the waiting rooms of life when we're simply waiting on an answer. And when we don't have the answer, we're simply trusting God. As Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31 says, But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Then lastly, this morning, I want you to see as we go to the end of the story, not only the proclamation of hope and the pondering of Joseph, but it brings us to this reminder, the plan of God. The plan of God. I mentioned it earlier. Why do things happen the way that they happen? If you're around a preschooler much and Not very often do I brave walking down into the the preschool that we have here. But when I do, I'm reminded of their curiosity, their lack of understanding. Why is the sky blue? Why do I have to eat that? Why do I have to go to bed? Why, why, why? You're driving down the road. It's why, why, why? And we laugh about it. But the truth is, as adults... We come back around to finding ourselves asking the same questions, don't we? Why? A wise man that I worked with years ago, Kim and I in the the girls' home, he worked alongside of us. He was much older than I was, and I often would go to him for counseling. And he said, as he was in his probably 50s at the time, and I was in my 20s, he would say, Josh, when I was your age, I had all the answers. But the older I get, the more questions I have. You experience life and you experience difficulty and you experience trials. There are these questions that come up. 
And the truth is, again, that God always reveals what we need to know in his time, not our time. And as Charles Spurgeon said so wisely, and as Joseph had to do here, when you can't trace the hand of God, you have to trust the heart of God. You have to be able in those moments to trust the character of God, to remind yourself of the truth of God's word and remind yourself of the the true character of God. And so it was for Joseph in the midst of his confusion, in the midst of his questioning, and yes, even in the midst of his heartbreak for what he was going through, he was about to discover what true hope is all about. Because God always has a plan, doesn't he? He always has an eternal plan. We see here that this was a miraculous plan. While Joseph was wrestling with undesirable options, do I make her a public example? Do I put her away privately? What do I do here? God in this moment lifts the curtain and he reveals a miraculous plan. Look at verse number 20 again. But while he thought on these things, While he's pondering, what do I do? Behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. Joseph knew of the prophesied Messiah. He had read the prophet's prophecy of it and and the prophet's prediction of it. But to hear this news must have brought such relief, such Hope, such joy to the heart of Joseph. Not only was this baby made of a woman, but this baby was made and conceived of the Holy Ghost. Luke chapter 1 and verse 35 says this, And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. Again, why is the virgin birth of Jesus such a big deal? Because it sets Jesus apart from all others. The Bible is clear that one day every king, every person, every person of power will bow their knee Because he is not just another king, he is the king of kings. He is not just another lord, he is the lord of lords. He is not just a moral teacher, he is not just a a miracle worker, he is not just another prophet, he is the son of God. Or as John says in John 1.14, in the word, speaking of Jesus, Jesus was made flesh. When he came to this earth from heaven, he was made flesh and he dwelt among us and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. This was not just another man. This was the God man. This was the son of God who he claimed to be. Colossians chapter 2 and verse 9, again, speaking of Jesus, says, For in him, for in Jesus dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. He is God in human form. He is the incarnation of God. Why else is this so important? Why else is the virgin birth of Jesus so important? Why why else is this miraculous conception so important? Because when Jesus went to the cross, he was not shedding the blood of Joseph. Or, the, or of the Adamic line from which all of us descend. The blood of Joseph would have done nothing on the cross. It would have done no more than our blood 
But the saving power at the cross came in the truth that Jesus was virgin born. That he was born of God. Instead, on the cross, Jesus spilled the very blood of the Spirit of God. And that is why no matter what is going on in your life this season, it can still be a season of hope. Because if there were no Christmas, listen, church, there would be no cross. And our hope is not in how things turn out in this life. Our hope ultimately Brother David is in the fact that we are going to spend eternity with Jesus Christ. And what this Christmas season reminds us is that things may look bad and things may not be expected as they are. But we live this life with anticipation and sureness and confidence that one day we are going to be with him forever. Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 14 says this, How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Which reminds us it wasn't just a miraculous plan, it was a redemptive plan. It was a rescue plan. The miraculous birth of Jesus was God's plan to send Jesus on a rescue mission to save us from the penalty of our sin. Luke chapter 2 and verse 11 says this, For unto you is born this day in the city of David, say the next two words with me, a Savior. Say it again, a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Luke 19.10 reminds us, why did Jesus come? Why did he leave heaven as the first missionary ever to come to this sin-filled world? Why did he come? He says why he came in Luke 19.10. For the Son of Man is come to seek and to save the lost. 1 Timothy 1.15, this is a faithful saying, worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world. Why? To save sinners. Paul says, of whom I am chief. And we see this redemptive plan in the very name of Jesus given in our text here. Notice again verse 21. Thou shalt call his name Jesus. And one of the two things when you're at the hospital when you give birth to a child. Number one, is it a boy or girl? You know, at the hospitals, they're still not confused about this. <laughs> the doctors don't deliver it and say it's neither a boy or a girl. They say it's a boy or a girl. But the second question is, what is their name? Is it a boy or girl, and what is its name? And Joseph and Mary, they're not even able to give the name Because Jesus' father chose his name. And he chose the name Jesus. Why? Because the name Jesus means this. Jehovah saves. Jehovah saves. He says, you're going to call this child Jesus. And then Savior means deliver. Acts chapter 4 and verse 12 reminds us, neither is there salvation in any other For there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. 
Isaiah 43, 11, I, even I, am the Lord, and beside me there is no Savior. You see, Jesus left heaven and he came to earth via the virgin birth for a single purpose so that our sins could be covered by his precious divine blood and so that we could have forgiveness and everlasting peace with God through faith in Jesus. Why is the virgin birth of Jesus so important? Because the blood of any man would not have been enough to save you and I from our sins. Lastly, we see not only was it a miraculous plan and a redemptive plan, but it was a personal plan. And again, we see this in a word that's mentioned here in another one of his names. Another name of Jesus tells us of his purpose on earth, and it's given in verse 23. Look at it again. Behold, a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name, what? Emmanuel. Which being interpreted is God with us. God dwelling with us. And it's a reminder that this plan was demonstrated to you and I in the most personal way. God with us. John wrote it this way in John chapter 1. Speaking of Jesus, listen to what he says. He was in the world and the world was made by him and the world knew him not. He came unto his own and his own received him not. But as many as received him, listen, as many as received him, gave he the power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe, don't miss it, on his, on his name. Jehovah saves. Titus 3 and verse 5, not by works of righteousness, which we have done. But according to his mercy, he saved us. How? By the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit. The very message of Christmas then is a message of hope. Not a message of maybe, but a a message of confidence. a, A message of anticipation. It's the hope of a sure promise that God came to us. That he purchased our pardon on the cross, and he offers us the gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ, and he offers us abundant life now through the Spirit of God. And Joseph chose to move past his confusion. He chose to move past his circumstances to a place of of faith. Scott Haifman said this, and Brian, you guys can come, We're, we're finished. Hope in God's promises are not a wishful longing, but a faith-filled confidence for the future. It is simply impossible to trust one of God's promises and not anticipate it coming true. To know God is to trust Him. And to trust God is to trust His promises. And to trust God's promises is to be sure of their fulfillment. This assurance concerning the future anchored in God's promises is what the Bible calls hope. And as Christians, our hope this morning is embodied in the very name Emmanuel, God with us. And as we celebrate Christmas this season, we celebrate his presence in our lives. We celebrate our eternal hope in Christ. 
So it is certainly a season to hope, not hoping that our circumstances will change. They may or they may not. Not hoping that our situation will change. It may or it may not. But hoping with confidence that as Jesus came the first time, he will come again. He promised he would come the first time. And guess what? He did. He promised to come again. And guess what? He will. He is. He will make all things new when he does. And we cannot imagine eternally, the Bible says, what God has prepared for those that are his children.